Good morning, Forest Heights Baptist Church. I'd like to welcome everyone to our morning worship service. We're going to begin this morning with a video for our Annie Armstrong Easter offering. Uh, 500,000 Brazilians living in all New England. And then I realized that God was calling us. We took the flight and we landed here in, uh, in Boston. 20 days after this, my wife delivered our daughter. I spoke uh, zero English at that time. It wasn't easy, our beginning here. I had to be strong for my wife and for my daughter. So I didn't give myself this opportunity to give up. And I remember that my first job was working at Dunkin' Donuts. So I met a few Brazilians there and we started some small groups. And our focus was really specific to reach non-believers and to reach people who, who didn't know Jesus. So basically, my ministry is based on a friendship. And uh, the people who attend the church uh, are your friends. We started like gathering with people and we found a place. And, uh, we started doing Sunday services. When people give, they are really helping uh, some families to thrive and to survive, uh, especially uh, at the beginning of the journey. For me and for my family, it's been uh, uh, vital. What I'm learning is if God called you, He will provide. about this video um, but I, I don't know if you guys um, have ever really thought about what it's like to move to a, a different country and live there and really realize what a culture shock it is um, but it's not only for the first um, the first generation but also for the second and the third generations the, that identity crisis that you have you know am I American or am I Brazilian um, and what does that mean? Like, how do you tell your Brazilian grandma that you don't like her poutine, which is kind of like flan and TBH is gross. Um, like, <laughs> sorry, vovo, I'd, I'd like Oreos better. You know, or like, how do you, how many times can you tell your American friends that no, you do not speak Spanish because Brazilians speak Portuguese. Like, <laughs> so, um, as he's, you know, sort of explaining this, this is a, a, a genuine thing um, that immigrants and their families for generations really experience this identity crisis, um, and they deal with this. And so one of the things um, that he and his family and this church plan are really trying to get across is it's not um, about finding your identity in being Brazilian or being American, but finding your identity in Christ. 
Um, and that's one of the huge things that he is working on within, um, as a ministry, and, um, particularly reaching to millennials. Uh, for those of you who don't know, because this is a very common misconception, the youngest millennials out there are about 26. Benjamin, right there. Uh, we are not in high school. That's Gen Z. So don't, you know, don't get past that misconception. Um, so he is out there reaching uh, 26 to 40-year-olds, people with children. Um, and he is he's reaching those people who are, are super done with shallow churches. They want rich conversation. They want meat um, to their churches. Um, and so that's where he's starting. He, he started with those conversations at Dunkin' Donuts, and it has grown since there. Um, and so I just ask you guys to pray for him, for the, the, the people that he's working with, um, and just continue to, to give. We are at 1,500 already. Woo! Give it up. That doesn't include today, um, so plus whatever it was given today. PJ's back here giving a round of applause. Um, he thinks he's funny. Um, so continue to give. And I know next week's the envelope week, so get excited. Go ahead and whip that out of your box. Um, there are envelopes in the back. They're in English and Spanish. It's the same either way. It does not hurt you. It's okay. Uh, just write your name on it. Um, $6,000 is our goal. We are on our way. <laughs> yeah, quarter way there. Math, look at us, guys. Coming up, not this week, but next week, thank you, Ben, for your help, March 7th through the 14th, is prayer week. So in the back, back over there, um, you can pick up this handy-dandy flyer, and it will walk you through who to pray for every day. You'll recognize some of these people because we've already watched their videos, and some of them we'll get to later. But um, this is just so that collectively, collectively, words, uh, we as a... Um, Southern Baptist peoples can be praying for them at the same time. Um, so I encourage you to do that. Also, because Stephen said some of you guys didn't know this was back there, um, there is this handy-dandy little weekly calendar here that is also back in the back. Um, and each week you can meet a new group of missionaries and a little blurb about, you know, um, something about that, the North American missionaries and the SIN network is doing this week, we're learning about planter care, which is um, the, the group and the network that goes alongside church planters. Um, so people that are, are out there helping um, take care of these church planters. Um, so a super important group. Um, this is in the back. Uh, I encourage you to take a look at it every week. If it's not on a correct week, go ahead and flip it over. That's totally fine. Um, so thank you to everyone who's given. Um, keep giving to Operation Christmas Child, stuff in the back, um, winter items, this week-ish, next week we got wow items, if you have questions, see Tanya, dead. As we begin our praise service, let's all stand as we sing Love Divine, All Love's Excelling.
Just for those of you who may not be aware of who I am, I'm uh, Dr. Lex Bowen. I'm 
Director of Missions at the Sarepta Baptist Association. Your church is a part of that association. We have 75 churches spread over seven counties. And uh, they are about two-thirds of them are bivocational churches, so we have a lot of small churches. And uh, we work together cooperatively to do missions. And so I uh, am grateful to be here today and filling in the pulpit for a few weeks for you until an, an, an official interim can be uh, placed here. And we're looking forward to that day coming. And uh, I want you to join with me in prayer today as we uh, pray for our search committee as they continue their work. And you may, uh, I hope you don't get tired of praying for specific things because this is not something that, you know, we've prayed for them for the last three weeks in a row. Why do we need to continue praying for the search committee? Because it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. So uh, make this a daily prayer item for you and your, your family as we pray together. Let's pray now. Father, we are so grateful that you have allowed us the freedom to come and worship today. And Lord, we are grateful that there are signs that some of the pandemic's impact on our our culture is beginning to uh, turn the corner. And we're grateful for that. But Lord, what that means for many of our churches is not a matter of just merely reopening, but almost restarting. Uh, in many cases, like a, a brand new church, trying to figure out how do we reach this post-COVID culture. And Lord, it is different. It's going to be different. And we need your wisdom and insight. This did not catch you by surprise, though it caught us by surprise. So, Lord, we pray for the church as uh, it continues on its mission and ministry during this post-time uh, of the COVID and the pandemic as it begins to unfold. Pray for the search committee, Lord, that you'd give them wisdom. Lord, finding a pastor is a, is a challenge. Uh, finding the right person uh, is a challenge. We want to be in tune to your word, in tune to your biblical standard, in tune to your plan and purpose for uh, for this church so lord we pray for them to have wisdom and patience and wait upon your voice and your word and lord we've come to worship together today and we we certainly don't want to come out of merely habit but lord we want to come to worship the god of all creation the eternal god the one who is the great i am the one who has has all power who has all knowledge who ha who is ever present and who never changes and to that god we come and worship and we are so grateful lord that you love us enough to send your only son jesus let us never come into this house of worship with a, an expectation of well this is just kind of what i do on sunday morning but lord let us come expectantly listening for your voice through your word whether it be in song or in speech lord personalize the message for each person here today for it's in jesus name i pray amen thank you
service this morning. Let's all stand as we sing, Jesus shall reign where'er the sun.
Thank you. You can be seated. sure I had the right mic. Um, I have, I was telling Jackie earlier, this song is just, it's an older song, so, you know, some of y'all, it might be new to y'all because it is from the 80s. Um, so, you know, uh, but it's just been on my heart and my mind lately, and I thought, you know, I've never actually done this song here, um, but I hope that it will bless y'all as much as it blesses me just listening to the words to it. When you're up against a struggle that shatters all your dreams, when your hopes have been cruelly crushed by Satan's manifested dreams. When you feel the urge within you to submit to earthly fear, don't let the faith you're standing in seem to disappear. Praise the Lord. He can work through those who praise Him. Praise the Lord. For our God in heaven's praise. seem to bind you, serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise Him. Now Satan is a liar, and he wants to make us think that we are paupers when he knows himself we're children of the king so lift up the mighty for the battle must be won you know that jesus christ is risen so the work's already done praise the lord he can work through those who praise him chains that seem to bind you serve only to remind you that they drop powerless behind you when you praise him praise the lord he can work through those who praise him praise the lord for our god in heaven's praise seem to bind you. 
Thank you, Susan. You know what they called that back in the 80s, don't you? Contemporary Christian music. <laughs> Dallas Home and Praise, I think. Imperials, okay, I think, uh, yeah. I, th I, was thought, I thought it was Dallas Home and Praise, but I think it, it's hilarious, though, when you look at, after you've been at it as long as you have, and, and uh, the, the, the songs that were perceived as new uh, back then and what they are like today. But uh, anyway, thank you. I had a powerful message back then and it's the same powerful message today. Amen. Thank you for that, sharing with us. You know, the Bible can be a strange book at times. I don't know if you've ever noticed that. Have you ever noticed that? The Bible can be a strange book. For instance, you take um, the Gospels. Uh, Matthew was written by Matthew. Mark was written by Mark. Luke was written by Luke. And John was written by John. Matter of fact, John also wrote 1 John, 2 John, and 3 John. And, and Peter wrote 1 and 2 Peter. And Paul wrote 1 and 2 Timothy. That's, that's strange. And it seems very inconsistent. But as you look at the Bible today, that's where I want you to turn your attention to 2 Timothy, if you would, to second chapter. 2 Timothy, 2 chapter, as we focus on how to be useful in God's hands. Because one, one of the temptations we have, let's be quite honest, during the time of an interim is to go, oh, well, okay, let's put it in neutral. Uh, hopefully you don't put it in park. At least neutral, you got the potential of rolling down the hill some. But in park, you're not going anywhere. But uh, to be, be useful by God. I have two uh, kids they're both adults now. My son, this is hard to even acknowledge, my son is going to be turning 40 this year. I am not old enough to have a son who is 40 years old, but then I realize, yeah, you are. Uh, my daughter is three years younger than he is, and, and I, I recall <clears throat> so very vividly when my son was a senior in high school, he graduated in 1999, he graduated last century, uh, that when we, graduation down in Gwinnett County, when we were, you, you could only have about seven or so guests for every graduation. So a lot of times the whole family didn't get to go. And we'd have it at what was known as the Gwinnett Civic Center back then or Arena or whatever. It's had about six different names since then. But uh, they would roll one high school in the morning. They'd have graduation. The next afternoon, that afternoon, they'd have another graduation from another high school. And so it was a, you had to get in. To them. So you didn't, it wasn't common to go and visit a, a graduation. So for my daughter, it was the very first one. She was a freshman in high school when he was a senior. And so we get to this graduation, and I mean the place is jam-packed, filled with people. And, and they start the, you know, the entryway and, and with everybody marching down the aisles and everything with their cap and gowns. And my daughter looks over and she says, Dad, what's those cords around people's necks. And I, I tried to explain to her, well, that's those who are honor grads in that particular academic discipline. So a different color meant a different thing and so on and so forth. Then her second question was, why doesn't Spencer have any around his neck? <laughs> uh, Spencer's high priority was not academics in high school, that's for sure. But my daughter then said this, she says, when I graduate, I'm going to have as many of those around my neck as I possibly could. And guess what? 
She did. She was a very goal-oriented person. Well, my son goes off to college. You know, this is with fear and trepidation that we, we sent him off to college anyway. But uh, just uh, the whole academic side of that thing was a question. And it was puzzling. It was absolutely puzzling to me that I wrote the check for his tuition. I wrote the check for his books. I wrote the check for everything that was involved in it. And I can't have access to his grades. Isn't that crazy? That is crazy. But when the letter came at the end of the semester, I would ask Spencer all along the semester, how's it going? Fine. You know, his definition of fine and my definition of fine may not be the same dictionary. And I have always had a practice of the more vague the answer is, the higher my level of suspicion is. How's it going, Spence? Going fine. Well, we get the first semester ends, we get that envelope in the mail, and I don't wait because it has his name on it to open it. I go ahead and feel quite privileged enough that I ought to be able to open that myself, and I open it up, and lo and behold, he had never made the honor roll in high school. He makes the dean's list. He doesn't make the dean's list once, he makes the dean's list every semester he's in college with a degree in biology go figure that my daughter did real well and graduated with honors as a, as a college student also they get their dna from their mom not from their dad that is for sure but one of the things i started thinking about especially as i read this passage of scripture we're going to be looking at this morning i said you know there are two broad categories of students in high school and college and that is those who are honor graduates and those who aren't. And those who are honor graduates, they're in the minority than those who aren't. Matter of fact, one of, it tickled me, one of uh, the kids in our neighborhood happened to be attending the college graduation for my son, which happened to be a summer school graduation. And he was there because somebody else that he knew was there. And he, he comes up to us afterwards and he looks at me and he says, Mr. Bowen, what happened to Spencer? <laughs> I said, well, what do you mean? He says, honor graduate with a degree in biology? Come on, man. Because <laughs> he had played in the, in the neighborhood with him. He knew about him. But, you know, this passage of Scripture we're looking at today in 2 Timothy 2, verses 20 and following, it talks about two classifications of, of folks here, not in terms of um, uh, uh, academic graduates, but in terms of instruments used by God, some of honor and some of dishonor. So I want to focus this morning on how to be useful to God. What we're going to do is I'm not going to read the whole passage, but I'll read it as I've done before with, with sermons. As I come to a verse, I will read it, and we will look at it and examine several things about it. But I want to talk in terms of how to be useful to God and how to be, how to be useful to God, because God doesn't intend for you to stop being useful to Him during the time of the interim, okay? Once you get that clear. You do not have, interim is not a Greek word for sit down and do nothing. <laughs> interim is not a time to say, listen, I, let's take a break. Now, matter of fact, if anything, you need to work even harder, more diligent, and be more aware that there are great, great dangers involved here. Let me point out several things in this passage that came to my mind as, as I read through this. To be useful to God, you've got to be valuable. Look at verse 20. It says, Now in a large house there are 
not only gold and silver implements or vessels in some translations, but also implements of wood and earthenware, some for honor while others are for dishonor. He lists four different kinds of uh, vessels there or implements several times. One is gold, one is silver, one is wood, and one is earthenware. Obviously, gold is the most valuable. On the spot gold market today, gold goes for about $1,736.28 an ounce. That's valuable. Silver, on the other hand, goes for $26.77 an ounce. And I don't know if you've been to Lowe's or Home Depot lately. They don't sell wood by the ounce. They don't sell wood by the ounce. I calculated something up based on the spot market of gold. If you took a 2 by 4 by 8 and made it out of gold, it'd be worth a quarter of a million dollars. I don't think they sell those at Lowe's either. Uh, earthenware is even lesser. You see, gold and silver has these properties about it. They have great value and they endure. Rust is not going to give it any damage. Water is not going to give it any damage. Period of time is not going to do any damage to it. It is there for the long haul. However, with wood and earthenware, they are more temporal. They will decay. They will rot and they will not endure. You see, what Paul is trying to say to young Timothy is there are different kinds of vessels. Not all vessels are of the same value, and not all of them have the same use in terms of this great house, this large house. He's talking about the church. He said some of these are for honor. What does that mean? If you're going to be a vessel of honor, an implement of honor in God's hand, what does that mean? Basically, it means this. An implement of honor is, is that implement that functions and does what it's supposed to do and pleases the one who created it. This word honor can refer to respect or high status or value, esteem, beloved, even has the idea of being precious. And then he says there are others for dishonor. And you might figure out exactly what that means based on the other definition. It's those vessels or implements that does not live up to the expectation, does not perform as expected, and, and it, do, it does not meet the standard. So you've got two contrasts. Those that are, being, that are created by God and are being used as God intended, those are the vessels of honor, and then those others that are not. I discovered this early on in my in, in my pastoral experience. I was in my very first full-time church in Duncan, Oklahoma. As the Western Heights Baptist Church, I had been there. It was a, I just, I came out of seminary, boy, I was wide-eyed. I had been pastoring for about three years in a seminary pastorate. And I, but I came out and I was thinking, man, this is a great. No longer do I have to go to seminary classes. I can devote all my energies and efforts to, to pastoring a church. This is awesome. And I thought, Everybody in the church wanted to see lost people saved. I thought everybody in the church was going to be excited when our church began to grow. I thought that people were going to be excited when the attendance in Sunday school began to go up and the, and the worship began to go up. And I thought that was going to be the case. And I had two great, great deacons in that church. One was named Ken Allen, one was named Don O'Moore, and they were just... You know, I was 26 years old. They had to be my age now. 
They had to be in their mid-60s at least. And you know, from a 26-year-old's eyes, somebody my age, whoo, when are they getting in the wheelchair? You know, you're thinking that. But Dono and Ken were, I didn't realize it at the time, they were incredible. And to, for two different reasons, they had to move away. And here went two spiritual leaders in our church. And it was a, a small church. And when you lose any leaders of a spiritual magnitude in any church, it has an impact. But in this small church, I lost two of my key leaders. And they were gone. And, I, and I, it was grieving me, but I didn't realize how much. Until the day that the fellow who became deacon became deacon chairman by default because Ken had been deacon and he was no longer there. Dono had been a deacon, but he was also gone. So this guy comes in my office and he says to me, Lex, there's been some, some complaints. I said, what kind of complaints? They said, well, you've been spending too much time preaching on missions and evangelism and you're spending too much time discipling people. Have you read this book? <laughs> I thought to myself, well, doggone, if I'm going to be criticized for something, I'll, I'll wear that one proudly. But it just floored me. Floored me. And I realized at that point in time, Dono and Ken were vessels of honor. And this other guy was just a mouthpiece for those who were content with things as are, no concern for a lost com uh, uh, community around them, no concern that the gospel was not being advanced or it was being advanced. They were just concerned about their own comfort. Their own comfort. You see, every church has different kinds of people. Some are real and some are not. Every church has different roles for people, and they're not all the same, and they're not all of the same value. Each person has a different gift, and they're not all alike. Most mature believers desire for God's glory to be done and for His will to be accomplished. Most immature believers want to glorify themselves and are more concerned about their own agenda than God's agenda. You've got to be of value to be used by God. The second thing in this passage I'd pick up on is found in verse 21, and that is, if you're going to be useful to God, you've got to be a clean vessel too. A clean vessel too. Therefore, if anyone cleanses himself of these things, he will be an implement of honor, sanctified, useful to the master, prepared for every good work. Now, Paul is not telling Timothy it's our responsibility to cleanse ourselves. He knows that that only comes through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what it does mean is that we make our commitment to him, to Jesus, who has the ability to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He says, if anyone cleanses himself of, of, of these things. You see, a clean implement is set apart implement. He said sanctified. That means set apart uniquely for God's use a loyalty to God exclusively to be used in God's hands. A clean implement also is a useful implement. It says a clean one is useful to the master. And thirdly, a clean implement is a prepared implement, prepared for every good work. I don't know how many times it's happened to you, but I've had instances in my life I have encountered that 
maybe a, a surprise, an, an unexpected person drops in or a, an unexpected uh, event, and you say, man, if I'd only known that was happening, I would have been better prepared. No, he says, you know, a, a clean instrument is ready to be set apart for God's use, to be used by the master, used for every good work. A clean instrument. Hey, have you noticed in this COVID days of this pandemic, the lengths to which people will go to sterilize things? The lengths to which they will go to make sure no germs get out? Or most importantly, get ingested or get in? I mean, they talk about the size, the microscopic size of the uh, COVID-19 virus, and it, it's beyond comprehension. I heard a scientist say the other day, held up a, a human hair and said, you know, it's like a, a, a fraction of the size of a human hair. And so we've got to great lengths to make sure everything is sanitized. Churches do it. Businesses do it. Curbside delivery. I mean, everything. We make sure we try to do that the best we are. But you know what? You can't see germs. You can't see germs, can you? I don't think so. You can't smell them, best I can tell. But can they do damage? Absolutely. I got to thinking the other day as I read through this and I thought about the COVID virus and I thought about it in light of the church and these purities and impurities that Paul speaks of here in this passage. And I thought, what if we went to the links in our own Christian life to make sure the influence of that deadly virus called sin isn't kept away from us? All too many believers are just trying to keep one, one foot in heaven and one foot in the world. Oh, that's a miserable place to be. It's like having a, a one foot on an ice cube and one on a red hot coal. On average, you're good, but you're miserable. And such is the case here. You see, before God can use an implement of, uh, of honor, there must be a cleansing confessing, agreeing with God about the sin in our life is part of that process. Cleansing precedes sanctification. Cleansing precedes being useful. Cleansing precedes being prepared. Only Christ can adequately cleanse us with his shed blood. The next thing I would learn out of this passage is in verse 22. If you're going to be useful to God, you've got to pursue godliness. Pursue godliness. In verse 22, it says, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with all who call on the Lord from a pure heart. He says, first of all, flee. Flee what? Flee ungodliness. Flee youthful lusts. Remember, I was discipling a, a young deacon in my church in, in Tulsa. We We'd meet every Thursday morning for breakfast and we would do some discipling. And part of that discipling was memorizing scripture. And this was the scripture that uh, uh, my, my deacon was going to be memorizing. And he just changed the words around a little bit accidentally. Instead of saying flee youthful lusts, he said flee lustful youths. Uh, I, think, I think both of them are true, but one of them only is a verse of scripture. I've never forgotten that. Never had a problem remembering that. But he's talking about any youthful, immature is the youthfulness here, immature desires that people may have that think it's all right to be that, that uh, close to. But he says, flee that, get away from it. But he also is making the point that it's not merely 
not having certain things in your life, it means also that you are pursuing certain things. Pursuing certain things. Pursue righteousness. And that means to be rightly related to God, rightly related to His Word, rightly living for Him every day of our life. We are not just ambling through it, we are pursuing it. Pursuing faith. How do you do that? You live your life such a way that you're pursuing to have a life that is exemplified by faith. And then love. That unconditional agape love is the word used here. That unconditional love that means it is out there. You don't, you do not have the right or privilege of choosing who you might be loving. It's not your prerogative as a believer. We're to pursue love, and that means with everybody of every race, of every tongue, of every nation, we are to pursue them with love not stand back passively this is an action idea of pursuing love and then pursuing peace a right relationship with God in harmony with God and in harmony with others so that there is a sense of tranquility Paul wrote in first Timothy chapter 6 verse 11 but flee from these things you man of God and pursue righteousness and godliness and faith and love and perseverance and gentleness he had some additional things to add to that too all of us have pursued things in life. Sometimes you're pursuing a, a degree. Sometimes you're pursuing a career. Sometimes you're pursuing a, a mate. You might be pursuing the, the, uh, uh, an Olympic gold medal if you're an Olympic athlete. You might be pursuing that next promotion if you're an employee. But why is it? Why is it that when you're pursuing things, in your mind, you think, man, the moment I get that, it is going to be euphoric. It is going to solve all of my problems. That new house, that new car, those new clothes, those new whatever, the latest tech stuff. One person has called it the arrival fallacy. Because these things that you have expectations about can never, never deliver. 26 years ago, just about this time of year, I was wrapping up my studies on my doctoral degree. And I thought, man, when I walk across that stage and they put that little hood on me and I'm going to have that degree, I will have all knowledge, all wisdom, and all discernment. And I was the parent of a junior high-age student who thought I was dumb as dirt. <laughs> I put my pants on the same way. What about my daily business the same way? One thing I've discovered about gaining certain things, like academic degrees, is that what I've discovered is in the pursuit of this and the getting of those degrees, just how little I know. How little I actually know. But God tells us in his word that there's something we can pursue that will give you satisfaction. It's found in the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, 6. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst. That's the idea of pursuing what? Righteousness. <laughs> For they shall be satisfied. You're going to be used by God 
You've got to have the right kind of pursuits. You're also going to be a bondservant. You've got to be a bondservant in verses 23 and 24. But refuse foolish and ignorant speculations, knowing that they produce quarrels. The Lord's bondservant must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, skillful in teaching, uh, skillful in teaching patient when wrong. A bondservant is not somebody that is forced into servitude. In the New Testament sense of things, it's someone who has willingly attached themselves to somebody else to serve them. That's what we've done with God. Paul called himself a bondservant of Christ. That means we're willingly his servant. A bondservant, he says, and this must not be quarrelsome. A bondservant must be, if you're going to be used by God, you've got to be a bondservant who is gentle, one who is able to teach you. You're going to be teaching those who are not vessels of honor. A bondservant must be, be patient. Be patient. A mature, a mature believer is not a quarrelsome person. A mature believer is kind. A mature believer is able to teach those who are less developed spiritually. A mature believer is a believer who is understanding of the less developed. In verses 25 and 26, it tells us a useful, somebody useful to God has to make an impact. What kind of an impact? with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition, if perhaps God may grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. What kind of impact is a useful instrument in God's hand going to make? First of all, it's going to be an impact that leads to repentance. Did you hear the words? I don't know about you, but I watch these programs today, whether it's uh, sometimes it's a uh, sports program where you got differing opinions and you, uh, or maybe there's a political thing that's going on or some kind of social issue. And boy, you get two people in the, in the room and even with Zoom calls, <laughs> they don't discuss anything. They yell at each other. Have you ever noticed that? Here he tells, says this, but with gentleness, correcting those who are in opposition why? If perhaps my God might grant to them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. That God may grant them that you're leading such a life and approaching this opposition in such a fashion that it's causing them to rethink their position. Maybe this is going to lead to repentance. The second impact here is to bring them to their senses. You do understand we are in spiritual warfare, and that spiritual warfare is such, it attacks us in the mind, and Satan can blind our eyes. He can make us dull of hearing. He can make us think that we are paupers, as you sang, but we're children of the king. And quite frankly, we can get deluded to the point where we start believing what the world is saying about us and we can start questioning, well, maybe we need to be marginalized as kind of some fringe group in society. My friend, I, I submit to you, if the church is not going to be the church, there's no hope for our society. No hope for our community. The impact number three here is that it enables them to escape from the evil one. Escape the trap of the devil who has taken them captive. Do you you see the imagery? He's taken you captive to accomplish his will. 
his will. There was a movie that came out in 2005. I, I didn't know what it was about when I went in to see it. At that time, my wife and I were living in Bowling Green, Kentucky. And we had a, a day, and we went, and we said, well, let's, uh, I heard my, my wife had read something. This is a pretty good movie. It's called The Great Raid, based on a true story. Based on a true story. I didn't know anything about it. It was in 1945, the waning time of uh, World War II. General Doug, Douglas MacArthur was going back into the Philippines, and he selects Lieutenant Colonel Henry Musi to command a bold mission in the Philippines to rescue a group of POWs. It's a fabulous story. Boy, you, you see that it makes you proud to be uh, from the country that we hail as America. There were 500 American prisoners of war uh, being held captive, 500 of them. And the track record for the Japanese as they were facing defeat was as they retreated, they would withdraw and rather than take the prisoners with them, they'd kill them. So they knew their days were limited and days were numbered. And so Hen Colonel, Lieutenant Colonel Henry Musi got uh, Captain Prince and they led a valiant effort to rescue these soldiers. It is just incredible how they go about doing that. It was the largest group ever freed from a POW camp and there was not one fatality among the prisoners. That was remarkable. I got to thinking. With the commitment it took to rescue those POWs, those who were enslaved, those who were captured, held against their will, The commitment on the part of the United States military to get them out was, was incredible. They risked life and limb. They risked their own troops. Ultimately, at least one, if not two, of the soldiers died. But uh, they made this concerted effort to rescue them. That was their mission. And I thought to myself, oh, that the church could capture that same sense of urgency that if we do not reach our lost community with the gospel of Christ, they will perish. We've kind of rocked ourselves to sleep at times thinking, oh, well, they kind of know where we are. Well, guess what? What if the U.S. military had taken that stance and said to the POWs, hey, guys, we're about 30 miles over here. Come on over. No, our military was willing to enter enemy territory and go rescue them from the captive enemy. And we too, as churches, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, must have that same kind of commitment. We're willing to go into enemy territory with the message of the gospel that will set them free, not from a earthly enemy but from a spiritual enemy that is just multiplied thousands of times more deadly Paul is telling Timothy when confrontation is necessary do it with grace that they might escape the bondage of the evil one 
when correction is necessary, do it with grace so they might escape the bondage of the evil one. The objective in this battle is not to win, but to win them back if possible. The ultimate goal when facing opposition is to help them escape from the spiritual captivity of the evil one. Only implements of honor, vessels of honor, can accomplish that. So my closing question to you is simply this. What kind of vessel are you? One of honor being used as God intended for you to be used or a vessel of dishonor? That somehow or another you have put things on hold and you've said, we'll just let other people do it. And I don't have a part in this. So if you're a part of the body of Christ, you do. You do. Well, what are the first steps? I think the first steps is to cleanse yourself of sin by trusting in Jesus Christ. Cleanse yourself of, of self by submitting to the leadership of the Holy Spirit in your life. Cleanse yourself of Satan and avoiding the enemy's influences in this world. God has made all of this possible through Jesus Christ and Him alone. His blood cleanses us from all ungodliness. If you know Him, your walk with Him will be greatly hindered the more you allow sin to creep in and have its effects on you. If you don't know Him and have never committed your life to Him, now is the time for you to become an implement, a vessel of honor by saying, Lord, here I am. Use me. Father, we pray this morning in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ for you to touch hearts and lives of people here so that those who have heard this message cannot walk away without responding. Lord, you put a message so clear through your servant, the Apostle Paul. You've made it abundantly clear to us, Lord, we are your workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Those works should be viewed by people so that when they see our good works, they give glory to God. So, Lord, this morning, I pray that your Holy Spirit would have full reign in this portion of the service. That he will have taken the truth of your word and applied it to the hearts and lives of those who are here. And, Lord, that you will allow your Holy Spirit to do the convicting work, the convincing work in the hearts and minds of those who are here as to whether or not they are a vessel of honor being used by God as he intended or a vessel of dishonor failing to be all that God desires you to be. Lord, work your will in this time for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I don't know how God has spoken to you this morning. I'm absolutely flabbergasted at times. <laughs> absolutely flabbergasted. When a service is over with and somebody comes and tells me what God said to them from me, and I'm going, I didn't say anything like that. Oh, but his Holy Spirit knows your heart, knows your mind. And he can take my feeble words that sometimes get jumbled up and get crossways and says the wrong thing at the wrong time. And he can take that in a microsecond of that transmission from my voice and take it, take it and apply it to every person in this room. 
spontaneously at the same time, but be a different message. So I don't know what God said to you this morning through this word. But I'm excited to know that he has. And anytime we hear from God, it's a call to respond. So you respond as God calls you. If you have never trusted Christ, today's that day. Make that decision right now. If there are other decisions on your heart, I'll be here at the front to greet you and gladly do so. Pray with you. If you want to make this an altar of prayer right here, you can come and do that. You don't have to talk to anybody up here. You don't want to. But you come as God leads, as we stand together and as we sing. Thanks. that Jesus alone for my sin did atone and Calvary covers it all Calvary covers it all my past with its sin and took on him there and Calvary covers it all the stripes that he bore thorns that he wore told his mercy and love evermore and my heart bowed in shame as I called Before we sing our closing chorus, I have just a couple of quick announcements. First of all, a week from Wednesday, which is March the 10th at 6 o'clock, not at 6.30 like the bulletin says, 
is our Wednesday night supper. If you come at 6.30, you might be in for a big surprise. <clears throat> Second, we've already mentioned the Annie Armstrong Easter offering and Operation Christmas Child, but there is yet another opportunity for giving. As all of you know, the church gave Mike and Debbie a very nice present of a trip to the Holy Land, um, and several people have come to the deacons wanting to know if they could contribute towards that, and the answer is yes, you can. If you look in the pocket on the back of the chairs, there's a love offering envelope that you can use for that. Also, if you look in the back of the pocket, you'll see something else. It's called a visitor's card. If you are visiting with us, you're our special and honored guest, and we ask that you take the, one of those cards and fill it out and drop it in the offering plate, which is on the side of the sound booth, as you leave. Uh, now, is there any other announcements that I may have missed that needs to be mentioned? Okay, sign-up sheet is in the foyer. I'm concerned. <laughs> Anything else? All right, if not, let's sing our closing chorus. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of Jesus. He's my rock. He's my fortress. He's my deliverer. In him will I trust. Praise the name of Jesus. 